Turn in your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to start reading from verse 17. Hear the holy word of our holy God. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles, they put them in the public jail. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Talking, taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak, and they began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. They reported, returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, guards standing at the doors, but when we had opened up, we found no, no one inside. When the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as Prince and Savior, to grant repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thedius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were just burst and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are gathered here on this, your Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, to separate one whole day out of the seven, to look away from the things of our ordinary labors in our recreations, and to devote ourselves to the public and the private worship of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you've called us to in your word, to look away from the things of the world and to set our minds on things above. Fill our hearts 
with your holy presence, Lord Jesus. We know that you walk among the lampstands of your church, that you're here. We're, we, we stand on holy ground. Lord, we pray that when we leave this place, we would be more deeply in love with you than when we came in. When we leave this place, we would be more intensely reliant upon you than when we came in. Lord God, glorify your name. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a, this is a massive passage. Um, there are... There are one, two, three. There are four legitimate sections in this passage. We can disregard my, my title. Um, I'm going to tell you the four sections, and perhaps in future sermons, I'm going to unpack the four particular sections. My purpose today, the title at least is somewhat legitimate, Lessons from Opposition. The opposition that we, we find that the apostles, and then subsequent in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, all of the Christians in the Jerusalem church will experience is the manifestation of spiritual warfare. So my sermon, we're going to retitle it Spiritual Warfare. I'm going to step back from this. This passage teaches us in subject, in theme, spiritual warfare. So before, and I I can give you the four heads in the future sermons. I have no idea whether I'll live to this afternoon but if I'm here for the next four or five weeks in God's providence, and you're here, I, I aim to unpack the particulars. And these are from Acts 15, 17 through what, 26? It's the enemies of Christ continue their opposition to Jesus. The next section, if we have a sermon then, is 27 through 33. The servants of Jesus Christ continue their promotion of Jesus Christ. And then the, the third section in this passage I read is verse 34 to what 40 the enemies of Christ take counsel against the servants of Christ and then the final section which maybe I'll bring in at the end of the body of this sermon is verse 41 through 42 the servants of Christ are strengthened in their devotion to Christ so it, it again it's it's so full with so much truth and it's not my intention I, I could preach the whole Bible in one sermon uh, Jesus Christ wins and we win in Jesus amen uh, so I could preach from Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22, one sermon. I don't intend to do that. But I do want to back up and look at what we are looking at today, which is spiritual warfare. And why do I say that that's what we're looking at? Um, if you have been with us in this series, or if you know the book of Acts, you remember this is the Apostle, what, Apostle Peter, Apostle John in chapter 4. What happens to them? They're out preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, healing in the name of Jesus Christ, the, the man who's crippled from birth, I think, he stands in the name of Jesus Christ, silver and gold, I have none. Wham! In the name of Jesus, stand. <laughs> and so those, those visible signs, those miracles, testify that the miracle of the gospel, that Jesus takes dead men and makes them alive, he makes sinners into saints. That, that The greater miracle of the cross is testified by those other miracles of blind people seeing and deaf people hearing and crippled people, lame people walking. And so when that occurred back in chapter 4, what did the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the ruling class, the the religious doctors of the day, what did they do? They arrested uh, Peter and John. They put them in jail. And then they threatened them, which is what they're referring to in our passage. And they say to the apostles, don't you dare teach in the name of Jesus ever again. 
And here it's kind of funny. I have to, I highlighted it in my Bible. You intend to bring this man's blood upon our head. What does Matthew's gospel say? They say, we have no king but, but Caesar. His blood be upon our head and on the heads of our children. So they call down a covenantal curse upon themselves. And now they're indignant. Hypocrites are always indignant. Righteously, hypocritically indignant. But what we're looking at here with this, so everything's a re, it's a re-arrest, it's a re-interrogation, it's a, a, a re-threatening, and then now they intensify, which I hope maybe if I have enough time to bring out in this spiritual battle, when one threat by the enemy of Jesus Christ does not work or succeed against the friend of Christ or the servants of Christ, oftentimes the enemies of Jesus Christ, they intensify their opposition to the children of God. They ramp it up. They go from threats, I will beat you, and then they actually beat you. They go from threats, I will kill you, and then they actually kill you. If you know the book of Romans, chapter 8, my, oh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, all things work together for the good of God, Romans eight twenty eight. right? Please do not say this when your brother or sister is saying goodbye to their son or their daughter or their husband or their wife, and they're crying at a funeral, don't be so callous and foolish as to quote Romans 8.28 when they're crying. It's ridiculous. But will even that work to the spiritual benefit of those who love God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not sickness, not death, not enemies. And everything, 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 everything will redound to our God's glory And even those things will conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the opposition, even the death. In Romans 8, it says we're counted as sheep. And what's happening to us all day long? We're being slaughtered like sheep, like our Christ. So it's a spiritual warfare. Now, when you say, Pastor, why in the world do you want this church to grow? Why why would you ever preach this kind of a message? You have to tell people your best life now. A kung fu class, weightlifting, tai chi, um, crown financial, how to make a few bucks. You have to do that if you want to grow the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite guys. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite guys. He says, we are not in the business of, of, of filling up churches. Our desire for the faithful ministers to fill up heaven, and the two are not the same. And the two are not the same. I, I am responsible before God for my ministry of the word of God to you to the lambs of Christ that Jesus sends me. And what does the Bible say about the minister who says, hey, there's a spiritual war out there, but I know if I tell you, I'm going to have two people in a house cap. Your best life now. The Bible says, Ezekiel, Isaiah says, that man is a mute what? Sheepdog. The watchman on the wall is supposed to do what? From Ezekiel. What is he supposed to do? We're in a spiritual battle. He's supposed to blow the trumpet. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They're against you. They're trying to cause you to defect from Jesus, to obey the word of Satan against the word of God. That's part of my calling. That's part of my calling. Would I like every passage to be John 3.16? Yes, every passage is going to drive us to embrace John 3.16, but every passage is not John 3.16. The hope for the battle is John 3.16. It's Jesus. In Jesus, we overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So when we're looking at the enmity or the warfare of these particular... This is the rule. So this is the old, the old church. These are the leaders. These are the people who are responsible for so-called true religion, but they've corrupted it. 
They killed Christ. They incited the Romans to kill Christ. An apostle who was indwelled by Satan incited the people to kill Christ. Spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. Most of us didn't come out of our mother's womb straight into the OPC or into Reformed Christianity. I was raised a Roman Catholic. My wife was raised a Hindu. And Jesus saved us when he saved us. And we come from all over the lot. Do we not, beloved? Do we not? And so when you hear spiritual warfare, depending on what church you're in, well, we're Reformed. We're, we're Reformed. We have ties and, and we're Presbyterians. Do we believe as Presbyterians? Spiritual war. Isn't it the Pentecostals who only believe? No, 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 beloved. Beloved. I, if you love Jesus Christ, you're in, the, you're in the battle. It's this. It's those who love Christ against those who don't love Christ. And we're fighting a particular way, as I hope to point out. But this is everyone who is on the Lord's side. We're in the spiritual battle. So this is not a denominational thing. Any of that this is a very basic sermon, I, I admit. But it's a thematic sermon. But I aim to take it from the Word of God. But someday... On the day of my death, on the day of judgment, I will answer to King Christ. All ministers will. Every man of God who stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord, he will answer to Jesus for his ministry of God's word to the lambs of Christ. So even if it's painful, which some of the things I have to say this morning are painful or frightening, but I want to fill up heaven, not churches. That's God's business. So we're dealing with the business of warfare. Let me describe generally what the spiritual warfare is and what it is not. The war against the people of Christ and the war against the people for Christ by those against Jesus Christ, it began a long time ago. It, it began in a garden. It began in the Garden of Eden with the fall of Adam and Eve. Do we believe in a real Adam and Eve where they are first mother and father, father and mother, our progenitors? Yes. We don't come from chimpanzees. We don't come from a slug. We really believe Genesis 1. We really believe Genesis 2. God created everything out of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days. And everything was very good. The first man, Adam. The first woman, Eve. And in that pristine garden, how this happened, I don't know. The hidden things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us and to our children. Satan, fallen Satan, Ephesians chapter, uh, 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 Isaiah chapter 14, and then Luke tells us, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Satan's in the garden, and he's in, in entering into discourse with the weaker vessel, with the wife. Did God really say? Did he really say? What should she have said? Adam, can you go talk to this guy for me? She should not have spoke back. When there's a discourse, well, do you think the Bible is the Bible? Do you think God's word is God's word? Run for the hills. I know lots of Christians are keen to listen to lots of atheists on YouTube. Don't do that. Just quit wasting your time. Read the Bible instead. You're going to get hooked. You're going to get hooked. That's part of the spiritual warfare. So the warfare began there. And in, our, in, in the first arch enemy of God, he seduces the woman. He, he deceives the woman. First Corinthians talks about it. First Timothy talks about it in chapter 2 that the woman was deceived. She was tricked. But the husband was not tricked. He sinned, as my grandmother used to say, he sinned with a high hand. He knew what God said, and he did it anyways. So the woman was deceived, the man was tempted, and then subsequent that, God cursed everything for the sin of man following Satan. Now what was that? As we're looking at the, the beginning of the spiritual warfare, what was, 
What was the methodology that the devil used to entice our first mother? What did he tell her? Beloved, when we're considering spiritual warfare, the devil does not come knocking on your door wearing a red suit and holding a pitchfork. That's not how he does it. You know how the devil comes to you? Wearing a black suit and a striped tie. He comes looking good and smelling good. I'm a minister. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. They come disguising themselves as angels of light, but they're servants of the devil. The devil comes and says to the woman, you don't have to listen to the word of God. You can listen to the word of self and be like God, right? Do you see, do you see the method that the devil uses? The devil is tempting human beings with something that appears profitable to self and something that appears pleasurable and underline the word self. But is the woman listening to the word of self or not? It is a wicked scheme and it works like a charm. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. It's me. I call the shots. Oh no. She's not listening to the word of self. It's a disguise. She's listening to the word of Satan. Under the disguise, you're following you. You're following your word. This is for you. Oh no, you're following Satan's word over and against God. But you you, you see the switch? You see the switch? Every man does what is right in his own eyes, but it's not his own eyes. If it's against the word of God, it's in favor of the word of Satan. It's a trick. It's a trick. So we're learning these things even from the very beginning of the spiritual warfare. And when man, woman, listens to the word of the devil over and against the word of God, even being tricked, what does it mean for human beings? John Milton's, John Milton wrote a number of, he, he had some nutty things to say on marriage and divorce and remarriage. He had some really nutty things to say. But John Milton wrote a very, he wrote a treatise on, uh, what was it, regicide. But he, he, what, what's John Milton's a famous book? Paradise what? Lost. Disobeying the word of man, obeying the word of devil, is death to man. It's not life. And it's not heaven to man. It's the loss of paradise. So this battle is a, is a very long battle. It, did, it just didn't start last week. It's a very long battle. And then God pronounces a curse on the devil. And from which we learn something very basic about the nature of sin. And this is my view. I don't mean to get off on a hobby horse or, 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 or run to it aside. But this is my view. When God gives his curse, first on the devil and then on the human beings and then everything from Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The wages of sin is what, beloved? What's the wages of sin? It's death. What doth every sin deserve? Every sin Every sin deserves the curse and the wrath of God, both in this life and that which is to come. The devil was cursed. If the church, if if we as Christians really believe this, we don't really believe it. We we, we don't really believe it. Oh, sin. When I was a drunk in an AA, we, we used to say this. We used to say, I'm not a bad person trying to get good. You know what we used to say? I'm a sick person trying to get well. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but that's not true, beloved. What, what does that do to the, to the sin of drunkenness? It takes away the culpability. You're a bad person. You're, we're all bad people. 
The wages of sin is death from a holy God. And we don't believe it as Christians. And therefore we live like what? We're losing in in the war. We look like worldlings. Where's the power? Where's the holiness? Well, it's not that bad. We're we're taking the terminology of the world and we're taking it to ourselves. That's part of the battle. We we don't want to be heck fundamentalists and just believe the Bible. Oh, yeah. I want to be whatever it is people are called that believe in the Bible. Whatever that name is. And the name for Bible believers is always a pejorative. Puritan wasn't a good name. Methodist wasn't a good name. Fundamentalists, I think Machen wrote a book, The Fundamentals of the Faith. So we used to be called fundamentalists. We want to be whatever the name is of people that believe the Bible, on the law and on the gospel. God cursed the devil. The wages of sin is death, and there's no hope for fallen angels. When angels fall from their first estate in the spiritual warfare, what do they get? They get eternal hell. They get eternal condemnation. But beloved, let me ask you a question. Is there hope for fallen human beings? Praise God. There's hope for fallen human beings. None for fallen angels. But hope hope for fallen human beings. For people that have fought on the devil's side. For the people that have succumbed to every sin under the sun in thought and word and deed. Liars, fornicators, homosexual offenders, blasphemers. We, we have worked to crush Christ and crush the church of Jesus. God can take a hater of Christ, a hater of the gospel, a hater of God's people. And what can God do? Make him the apostle Paul. There's hope for fallen people. God told the devil this. God, God himself, was the first evangelist. The word evangel means good news. Jesus is the evangel. The very first proclamation of the gospel, God says in the presence of the devil, in the presence of Eve, in the presence of Adam, here's the good news. I'm going to send, God says, my redeemer, my deliverer, my mediator, my savior, the seed of the woman. And he will do what? He will crush the head of Satan. This is Romans. I mentioned I come from the Roman Catholic Church. You could probably do this on the Lord's Day, but maybe wait till Monday. You mash in there. Standing on the head of the serpent. Picture, painting, whatever. Mash in there. And then you come back and you tell me whose painting comes up. It's the Virgin Mary standing on the head of Satan. The Virgin Mary is not standing on the head of Satan. Who's standing on the head of... Who crushes Satan for us? Read Colossians chapter 2 in the spiritual warfare. Jesus does. We're in a real spiritual war. There's a real spiritual enemy. It's real and going on in the heavenlies. And Jesus Christ is a real victor. The Bible tells us that it is. Listen to what the, the Bible says about Christ and about the work of Jesus. What Jesus has come to do. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the what? Jesus has not come to make us rich. Jesus has not come to make us healthy. Jesus has not come to make our families perfect or our society perfect. 
Someday that's all going to happen. Jesus has come to break the power of the devil, to satisfy the justice of the Father. In Isaiah 61, to set the what free? Captives. Who were we captives to? Satan. Well, pastor, that's a pretty pretty bleak view. It's a pretty true view. We were children of the devil even as the rest, children of disobedience even as the rest. God, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, has come to destroy the works of the devil. There's a real spiritual warfare going on. Christ against Satan, Satan against Christ, the children of Christ against the children of Satan is really going on. And the only people that acknowledge that it's going on are the people that are born again. And the people that are not born again are walking around fat, dumb, and happy. Like this. My best life now. This is not your best life now, beloved. We're in a war. We're in a battle. And it's a spiritual war. A spiritual battle. I want you to think as we're just looking at the theme of spiritual warfare. Because we don't think like this. We do not. This is not popular. When you consider the war of Satan against God's Redeemer, God's Son, Christ, when did that war begin for Jesus? The moment Jesus Christ came out of his mother's womb. What did Herod do when the Magi tricked him? He killed all the little baby boys in Ramah and a wailing went up. My daughter was in an ER room with her little son this week and a little girl died in the room next to my daughter and there was a wailing for the death of that little one. From the moment Jesus Christ was born to the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross, the devil was attacking, attacking, attacking. Jesus, we sometimes talk about the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrow, Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 45 through 55, the suffering servant. Jesus' entire life was a life of sorrow and suffering. Christ's whole life was fighting. But he has the victory. Beloved, how long will we fight as a believer? How long will you fight? Well, I'm going to fight till I'm 65 and then I'm going to retire and I'm just going to chill out. You're never chilling out. The moment you were born again to the moment they say Brother Bob or Sister Sally has gone to glory, you're fighting. The Puritans would say, we're the church militant and you know that I'm a dove. Now, if you come in at the house late at night, unannounced, in the dark, things will be different. But I'm a dove and I'm a sheep. Christians don't hurt people unless you're a copper in the military. We wield the sword of the spirit. We're looking at spiritual warfare, not physical warfare. Listen to this. Book of Revelation, talking about the warfare that Jesus entered to for our sakes as the second Adam. Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child. She cried out, being in labor and pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns And on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Ready? This is the warfare. And the the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she had 
gave birth that he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Why do I say this? This is a warfare of good and evil, of God's Christ and God's children against Satan and Satan's children. That's the real warfare. And we need to acknowledge that. Why? Because every four years, the Republicans think that the, the enemy is the Democrats or the Democrats consistently believe it, the real enemy is the Republicans. We're saps. We are saps for believing that. If you think that's the real, the real warfare, you need to read the Bible. That's not the real warfare. What's behind all the Antichrist teaching? What's behind all the Antichrist filth living in this society is the devil is the you see we think radically different if you think the problem is you had a bad mom and dad and your uncle taught you how to drink gin and you just need good examples then what do you rely upon you rely upon man the devices of man. If I told you, it's just kind of like, I don't know, whatever that, I forget the, the theory of like, you just, the, you ring the bell, the dog drools. If you think this is just behavioral B.F. Skinner, if you think this is just B.F. Skinner, this is not B.F. Skinner. This is not behavioral psychology. But if you think the problem is this big, then it's just therapy. Then Christianity is just therapy. All you need is therapy. But if I tell you, it's not that your uncle gave you a bad example. It's that you came out of your, your mother's womb broken in sin and that there's a battle in the heavenlies. Then where do you go? You go to books a million when it's a spiritual warfare? You go to therapy when it's a spiritual warfare? Where do you go? You go to Jesus. You go to Jesus. Well, how cute. You go to Jesus. You better go to Jesus. You better go to Jesus. Jesus is real. The battle's real. And the reason I put it that way is this way. When I was in seminary many years ago, I don't know why our seminary did it this way, but we did it. They would have debates. And they have team, you and another guy. And you're debating one view. My, I remember the professor, the, the president at the time, Dr. Piper, said, okay, Shortman, you and Lachman was this other guy. And, it, and the view is that no musical instruments. We have to prove no musical instruments in worship. And that was Lachman's view, but not my view. And I said, Dr. P, it was like 60% of my grade. I'm like, what am I going to do? That's not my view. I'm toast. He said, I don't care if it's your view. <laughs> he said, you'll know why it's not your, your view. You've got you to do the debate. But I remember there was another view on Pado communion And you're watching all the guys debate. And now, even if it's not your view, you've got to give it your college try and prove whatever it is. And the, the guys for Pado communion were winning, <laughs> which is not the right view. And the guys against Pado communion, which is the right view, they were losing. And the kid that was losing, the young guy, I was older than the other guy's kid. I was in my 30s, they were in their 20s, whatever that means. And the kid that was losing said, he got frustrated and spontaneously said, this isn't just about loving Jesus. This is about doing the hard work of theology. And Dr. Piper stopped I'm like, did he just say that? Oh, no, this is just about loving Jesus. If you think you're going to be so theologically astute that you forget Jesus, you're toast. You're toast in the warfare. 
If you're going to be sitting there looking at Jonathan Edwards when the devil's hitting you over the head with a stick rather than looking at Christ, you're toast. So we're looking at the warfare that was engaged against Christ because it informs us of the warfare engaged against ourselves. I'll jump over a bunch. So we've learned thus far that it's a spiritual war. Um, I, do want to, I do want to reiterate again that it is a spiritual war. There have been Christians over the ages that have maintained, well, the Christian church can pick up the sword. This is why the, in the Roman Catholic Church, the, the tiara that the, the Pope wears, you have the two, cro- the, the two keys, the keys of the Apostle Peter, uh, the ecclesiastical keys, church, and then the, the civil state keys. And the, the church still, the Roman Catholic Church still believes this. They have the power of the word and the sword. So they're really, they're a unique amalgamation. They're, I think it's Antichrist, but that's another story. When we're considering the business of a spiritual warfare fought with spiritual weaponry, we really do have to believe that. There are Christians from time to time that attempted, you know what, I'm going to pick up my shotgun because I'm in a war. Murderers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Murderers will not inherit the kingdom of God. To save your breath. If you, if you have like little articles or sermons how Christians, as the church, the church, can go kill people, um, save it. I don't want to see it. Jesus said, when they hunt you down to kill you in the spiritual warfare, he didn't say you can join a militia and shoot them back. What did he say? What did, he say? What did Jesus say? You can run from city to city until they catch you, then it's time to die. That's the spiritual battle. That's the spiritual battle. Spiritual battle and we fight spiritually. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, read it, put on the full armor of what? God. The only way we can fight the battle that we're talking about here, the only way, is first and foremost we have to be found in Jesus. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be laborious. A, a regular visitor, he's not here now, but a regular visitor in the church came to me one time. He says, Pastor John, I have a criticism. And I said, shocking. I'm shocked that you have a criticism. What's your criticism now? Do you, and he said, do you think anyone in the church is born again? You talk to everybody like they're unbelievers. And you know what I said? I don't accept that charge. I'm like a Pentecostal. I don't receive that. <laughs> I do not receive that. I manuscript. I listen. I work. No. I'm not speaking to you all like a bunch of heathen. Do I? I know I don't. Do I regularly say to be in the church is not the same thing as in Christ? Do I regularly say that? Guilty as charged. You could be baptized a hundred times. You could be circumcised a thousand times. You could take the Lord's Supper 200,000 times. If you do not have saving faith in Jesus, if you have not repented of your sins and looked to this one, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. You're on the side of the devil. There's only two sides in this war. It's not white, black. It's not rich, poor. Not my people speak with Boston accent. None of that. There's only two sides in this war. It's either those for Christ or against Christ. Look at the passage. The apostles for Christ. The Christians for Christ. Promoting Christ crucified. Or those who hate Christ. Under the guise of true religion, I will say. Which will be a future sermon. That's who you have. There's only two roads that every human being is on right now. Every person in this road, in this room, in this world, is either on one or two roads. 
right? You're on a broad road. And there's a boatload of people on it. And they're having a big time. They're having a big time. There's not a lot of rules on the, on the, on the, on the broad road. The, 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 the rules on the broad road is you do whatever feels good. Man, it feels good. You like it, so God must like it. You know where that road goes? To hell. There's a real devil. There's a real hell. The Bible says it. And then there's another road. It's narrow. It runs right through the cross of Jesus. Jesus, say, Jesus says, few, few find it. But there's only two sides in this war. And you know, in, in some wars, there's a truce. You can say, well, and usually truce is like, I have a bigger gun than your gun, or, or you killed more people, and we just, let's just, let's just, there's not a real peace. There's no truce. There's no fellowship between Christ and Satan. There's no cessation of the warfare between God and the devil. There's no fellowship between the children of Christ, the children of light, and the children of the devil. Second Colossians, Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Let me ask you this. This is J.C. Rowell. You know I'm a devotee of J.C. Rowell. J.C. Rowell has a track called, um, Are You Fighting? Beloved, I probably should end pretty quick. I haven't got a fraction of what I wanted to say, but I do want to say this. When we talk about the combatants in this war, this spiritual warfare being Christ against Satan, and Christ ultimately is victorious, and the children of Christ fighting against the children of Satan spiritually. And when I say spiritually, do I deny the fact that the satanic warfare against God's people also manifests itself in physical, tangible things? No, I'm not a fool. The arrest was real. The rearrest was real. The handcuffs were real. The the leg irons are real. The, 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 the stalks are real. The beatings were real. The death is real. Painful. But behind all of that, the promotion of that is the devil. And the ultimate victorious one is Jesus. All I want to end is with a word of application this. How do we know whose side we're on? There's only two sides. Are you on the Lord's side? Are you on the devil's side? How do we know? How do you know? Here's a a way to know. Do you consciously profess that you are on the Lord's side? If I could take you back in the previous sermons, the congregation of those who did what gathered together? They believed in Jesus. People that don't believe in Jesus don't gather together. I hear people all the time. I don't go to church because they're hypocrites. I don't go to church because whatever. You don't go to church because you don't want to go to church. Mostly. If you're a paraplegic and you can't get out of bed, that's a whole ball of wax. But then let me follow you around when you're at the golf links. Because you're not a paraplegic at the beach. It's just shocking how we can't gather together. Do you profess Christ? Do you profess that Jesus is your only hope in life and death? Do people that hate Christ, that hate the God, that hate holiness, and they promote sin, do they oppose you? Or do they befriend you? Who are your friends? What's that little saying that we had when we were kids? Birds of a what? 
Birds of a feather flock together. Look around. Do the people that you hang out with either actually and physically and, because we live in the modern world, virtually? Are your friends enemies of Jesus? Are they enemies of holiness? Are they enemies of the gospel? Do they love and promote sin? The friends. And if you say, no, they, they, they'd kill me if I... They hate me telling them about Jesus. They hate me talking about holiness. They tell me all the time, you either shut up about Jesus or you're not coming home for Thanksgiving. Beloved, I'm going to tell you something. You're on the Lord's side. You're on the Lord's side. You're in the spiritual battle. And I'll... And when we think another way, when we think about fighting, J.C. Rowell talks about this. A lot of Christians, Sunday Christianity is good enough. It's not good enough, beloved. If it's just Sunday, go to meeting, which is, we used to, yeah. If it's Sunday, go to meeting, Christianity, and the rest of the week you live for the world, you're not on the Lord's side. You're on the devil's side. I meet a lot of Christians that are like, I put it, you know, I let go, let God, <laughs> whatever that Niebuhr, I forget that guy's name, that AA picked up on. And I put it in, I put it in uh, neutral and the Holy Spirit just moves me around. I'm not fighting at all, man. Are you fighting? Do you fight against the flesh? Do you? If you have an inc- we all have inclinations to sin, do we not? People that are Irish have an inclination to do what? Get drunk and break furniture. That's what they have. And if you're German, you have an inclination to do what? Take over the world. So we all have inclinations. Are you fighting against the besetting sins? Are you fighting against the world? When you walk around the world, does your heart grieve that we live in Sodom and Gomorrah? Does it? Are you fighting? And I just want to leave on a a good note. When we consider the business of spiritual warfare, you say, well, Pastor John, if you're painting that this Christian life is a spiritual battle... I'm weak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Left to ourselves, we're weak as lambs. But the battle is not ours. The Lord Jesus Christ uses this spiritual battle, this spiritual warfare to do what? Remember what God said to Satan? He's the one that got the battle going in Job 1 and Job 2. Have you considered my righteous servant? God starts it. For what? For the promotion of his name. You watch what my man will do. You can kick his head in and I'm going to show you what faith can do. I'm going to show you what I can do. When we're suffering in the spiritual battle and it is, a, it is a suffering battle, God uses that to promote his own glory, to show us, to show the world, this is the power of Jesus. You mean I can kill these Christians and they still won't deny their Jesus? That's exactly right. And that brings glory to God. And you know what else it does? When we're in this spiritual battle and we cry out, which is why I read Psalm 20, oh, Jesus, help me in the day of trouble. And God does help you. You know what that does for you personally? It builds your love of Christ, your faith in Christ, your devotion to Christ, and your usefulness to Jesus. Oh, God. God, the victory is yours. Jesus Christ, thank you. Beloved, we're in a spiritual battle. 
We fight under the banner of Jesus. In Christ we have the victory. But we are in a battle. Stand firm, beloved. Look to Jesus. I pray that the Lord may use the words of this sermon to promote his glory in our own soul good. Amen.